My name is Todd Chastain, and I'm a member at King's Cross Church, and you are listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. We are working our way through the entire Bible during 2023 in a sermon series called The Story. For more information about our church or to find resources related to the story, visit kingscross.org. John 15, I was um, reading an interview earlier this week. There's one of the most popular classes at Yale University now for several years has been a class called Life Worth Living. And uh, it's taught by three professors. It's become so popular, they've exported the class to other universities. They've actually turned the content into a book, which has now become a bestseller. And so uh, I was reading an interview with one of the authors, and uh, a question was posed to him that said, what are some of the most important concepts that you all hope people take away from your work, either the class or the, or the book? And this was his answer. He said, quote, an important question I hope readers will really think about is, what is the shape my life should take? We break it down into three components. One, how should a good life, a flourishing life, feel? Reflect on what kind of emotions are appropriate and how one comes to have those emotions. Number two, what kind of circumstances do I require to live life as I imagine it? Why do I require those circumstances? This covers things like housing, looks, reputation, and so forth. And number three, how should I lead my life? How should I act in the world? This isn't simply what you feel like doing but rather what you believe you should do, end quote. Now, I think that sounds great if you're an 18-year-old college student. And I think it's going to sell a lot of books. But I, when I read it, I was thinking, is that what makes life worth living? That I feel appropriate emotions, that I experience the circumstances in my life that I always imagined would be my circumstances, that I always do what I believe I ought to do. Like, that's it? So that the, the source that I look to for a life worth living is me? And the, the goal of a life worth living is to, to, to produce good for me? Like what happens if my feelings betray me and they're not really reflective of what's actually going on in my life? They aren't appropriate, whatever that means and whoever determines what appropriate emotions are. Well, what happens if things outside of my control change the circumstances of my life in ways that I can't do anything about. Like, you know, a natural disaster, a round of layoffs that might, well, what then? Or, or what happens if I'm running late and I just believe deep in my heart that I should do 90 on 526 so that I'm not late? You know, officer, I just, I just I, you know, I, I've been reading this book and, and I, I just believe that this is what I'm supposed to do. I don't understand. I think the question is a good one. 
I just agree with the premise, just disagree with the premise that the answer to that question is found in me. Or that the goal of it is, like, I'm a mess. I don't want me to be the answer, right? I know some of y'all fairly well. You're a mess. Agreed? I, there has to be something else. Our emotions are fickle, like untrustworthy things. And I think it sounds great if you're a college student and you think, well, I can just think through the circumstances that I want in my life and I can plan my life and I will achieve those. And that sounds awesome. But some of us have lived enough to know it just ain't true. And, and some of us have lived long enough to know that sometimes what I believe I should do turns out to not be right because we look back with regrets and we wish that we'd made different decisions. Now, if that's not you, if you always feel appropriate emotions, if you always experience the ideal circumstances that you always imagined would be yours, if you always do exactly what you believe you should do and it turns out to be the right thing, then come grab me after the service and let's talk about your book deal. <laughs> but I would say, like, if you're not a self-deluded narcissist, then the gospel is going to be very good news for you. Because Jesus gives a very different perspective on what makes life worth living. Here's the thing. The source of that life is not you. And the goal of that life is not you. And friends, that is a very good thing. Because you do not want to be the source and the goal of all things. The good news of God's overarching plan to redeem and restore all things to himself in Christ, the, the big story that we've been studying together all year long as we've worked our way through the overarching story of the Bible, that good news is that Jesus has already done everything necessary for you to live that type of life. He's already done everything necessary for you to lead a life that really matters, that's worth living. But the source of it is him. Not you, not me. The Apostle John, in his gospel account of Jesus' life and ministry, gives these seven statements Jesus makes. They all begin with, I am. And in them, Jesus makes crystal clear that he is the source that we are looking for. I'll just read them to you quickly. In John 6, 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. As bread sustains physical life, so Jesus sustains spiritual life. In John 8, 12, he says, I am the light of the world. In a dark place, Jesus presents himself as the guide, as hope for those who are in darkness. In John 10, 7, he says, I am the door of the sheep. He is both the entryway into the kingdom of God and the one who protects those who are already in it as a shepherd protects his flock by lying across the entry to the corral. In John 10, 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. 
He is committed to loving and caring for and watching over all those who are his. In John eleven twenty five, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Death is not the final word for those who are in Christ. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the source of eternal life, of all truth, of knowledge about God. He is the only way for sinful people to be reconciled with a holy God. And then number seven, which is where we're going to camp out this morning, in John 15, 1, he says, I am the true vine. Now, Jesus' original audience would have immediately picked up on the fact that he's using an Old Testament metaphor of God as a vine dresser, working with his people, the vines, in a vineyard. That, that, that would have just popped right to the front of their mind. But in this seventh I am statement, Jesus is explaining how his identity provides meaning to the lives of his people, how actually his life is what makes our life worth living. Not because of how we feel or because the circumstances that we're experiencing are ideal, but because, he says, of what our lives can produce if we're connected to him. Let's look at it together. You can follow along as I read John 15, 1 to 11. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And that, um, it's a tough translation there. When he says clean, what he means is like um, the branches have been cleaned off. They've been pruned. So he's not, he's not mixing metaphors there. It, it's just kind of a a tricky translation. So like your branch has already been cleaned because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So I just want to ask two questions of the text. What does it mean to bear fruit, and why does that matter? What does it mean to bear fruit, and why does that matter? So first question, what does it mean to bear fruit? There's a lot hanging on that metaphor, so it's important that we understand what Jesus means. And if you were to look at the balance of the New Testament, at every time where this uh, metaphor is used, what you would find is they kind of cluster into three groups, uh, three, three different ways that the New Testament writers and Jesus talk about bearing fruit. The first one is this, that to bear fruit means to sow seeds of eternal life. To sow seeds of eternal life. 
There's a lot of cross-references um, in your notes for these. I'm not going to read each one of them, but I will read one here. John 4, 35 to 38. Jesus says, Do not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you've entered into their labor. Gathering fruit for eternal life. That fruit is people. The harvest that he's talking about is people. And Jesus is saying here that his followers have a part to play in people being saved. That his followers have a part to play in people coming to a place of repentance and faith so that they inherit eternal life. And if you are someone who's already a Christian, then he's saying you have a part to play in sowing the seeds of that eternal life. So there's lots of ways you can do that. You do that when you share the gospel with someone who's close to you but far from God. You do that by living in a way that lets the light of Jesus that's in you shine through you. That's Pastor Josh's sermon last week. You just live in a way that shows that. When Mary's talking about this homeless shelter and the way that people experience a type of love that they haven't perhaps before and they get their basic needs met, that, that is being light in a community. You do that when you serve in a local church on Sunday morning. Because everything that we do here requires volunteers. And so when you participate in serving the body of Christ on Sunday morning, you are allowing people that you haven't even met yet to have the seeds of eternal life sown into their heart. There's lots of ways that we can do that. But the idea that Jesus is communicating is that every Christian's life should bear the fruit of seeing other people come to faith. That if you're already a Christian, there should be Fruit in your life where because of things that you are doing, other people are coming to faith. The second kind of cluster of ways that the New Testament writers use this idea of bearing fruit is that it means to cultivate a mindset of kingdom growth. So, one, you know, the first one is kind of a zoom lens in on an individual person who is having the seeds of the gospel planted in their heart that it might bear fruit of eternal life. The second one zooms back and it, it starts to talk about the grander, wider picture of kingdom growth. One example that I'll read to you here as well, the Apostle Paul in writing uh, in 1 Corinthians, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, in Colossians, Chapter 1 says this, Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. And Paul's writing to the church at Colossae, a city called Colossae. What he's saying to them is, hey, this same gospel that's bearing fruit in your town, this same gospel where people are coming to saving faith in Christ in Colossae, where people are growing in the likeness of Christ and they're following and becoming a disciple of Jesus, that fruit that you're experiencing in Colossae, that same gospel is bearing fruit all across the world. 
And his assumption is that they're going to rejoice in that. That that's going to be encouraging to them. That they understand that they are a part of that larger kingdom growth. And so there ought to be in every Christian an understanding that you're part of something greater than you. You're part of something global. You're part of something historical. You're part of something eternal. And so Christian service, Christian generosity, Christian prayers, Christian rejoicing shouldn't only be focused on what can I experience here or or what can we benefit from here and now, but but there ought to be a a rejoicing and prayers and and an awareness of what are the things that I can do, that I can be a part of that are producing kingdom growth. And so when you think about those things, when you celebrate those things, when you intentionally pray for and participate in those things, you are cultivating a mindset of kingdom growth where you're genuinely excited about and want to be a part of things that may never benefit you at all. Things that you may never experience that we as a local church may never experience directly, but we're excited to be a part of them. And then the, the third way, that this idea of bearing fruit, I think, what, what does it mean to bear fruit? The third way is probably the one that comes to mind first, actually, if you just read through the passage, which is that it means to yield a life of righteousness. That your own life produces actions and words and deeds and thoughts consistent with righteous living. It's basically living out Josh's sermon from last week where he said Jesus lives in you so that he can shine through you. And then he walked us through the entire Sermon on the Mount to show 20 different ways that that's true. It was an awesome sermon. If you have not listened to it or watched it on the website, I would encourage you to go back and do that. You'll see when you first pull it up, it's the greatest sermon ever preached by Josh Romine. (laughs) That's the name of it. Interpret that however you want. But I'm telling you, it was an awesome overview of the Sermon on the Mount. And this is what it means to yield a life of righteousness. And again, there's multiple cross-references in your bulletin, but I'll just read you one. Ephesians 5, Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, says, For at one time you were in darkness. So he's writing to Christians. He's saying there was a time when you weren't a Christian. But now you're light in the world, light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. He's saying, look, the the life of someone who has been redeemed and reborn and reconciled to God by his grace through faith in Christ, that the fruit of that type of life ought to be different than the fruit of a life from someone who is lost and dying and far from God. That there, there is fruit of a life in darkness, but the fruit of a life in light is different. Matthew 3.8 says it simply, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. This is fruit of a righteous life. 
Now, is that going to look the exact same in every Christian? Like you'll, every one of us who are already believers, we, we just bear the exact same type of, no, no, because we all have different talents and opportunities and callings and, and resources. But it's kind of like, um, did you know there are over 10,000 varieties of grapes in the world that we know of so far? There's probably some out there we haven't stumbled across on some mountain somewhere. But we're aware that there's over 10,000, 10,000 different varieties of grapes. But here's the thing. Every grapevine produces grapes. Different types of grapes, sure, but grapes. Right? You don't plant a grapevine and one branch you know, puts off grapes and another one grows pears and there's one that produces watermelons in the summer and there's one down on the end that's our favorite. It puts off fried chicken. That's great. <laughs> Grapevines produce grapes. This is what they do. And Jesus is saying, I'm the vine, you're the branches. There is a type of fruit that ought to be produced from branches that are tied into me as the vine. And so are there more than three? Sure, there are more than three. But when Jesus says it in John 15, he does not mean less than sowing the seeds of eternal life so that people come to a saving faith in Christ, cultivating a mindset of kingdom growth where you're genuinely excited by participating in, sacrificing for things that may not directly benefit you, and yielding a life of righteousness, bearing fruit in keeping with repentance, living like Jesus more and more and more as the years go by. That's what it means to bear fruit. My second question is, so what? Why does that matter to you? Well, first, it matters because bearing fruit is natural. It's just natural. Verse 2, Jesus says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, my Father takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so he can grow more fruit. Because it's just natural for branches to bear fruit. That's what healthy branches do. And branches that don't bear fruit are obviously dead, so you cut them off and throw them away to make room for more fruit. That's just natural. And in verse 4, Lest there's any mistake, Jesus wants to make clear that the fruit is coming from him, the vine, not us, the branches. When he says, abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So the source of the fruit is the vine, not the branch. Right? If, you, if you decide you want an apple tree in your backyard, you have to plant an apple tree. You don't go to an orchard and cut a branch off and bring it back and throw it in the backyard and look forward to next summer's apples. It's not the branch. The apples come from the tree. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to produce fruit, it's going to come from me, the vine, not you, the branch. Now, I think there are two mistakes that sometimes people can make with this idea of well, why does it matter if I, if I bear fruit? One is thinking that this type of fruit, you know, evangelism, gentleness, self-control, missions, whatever, you know, whatever type of fruit we just talked about it, that it may be, what they think is, well, that's for like the really elite special forces type Christians. 
But I'm just like a lowly, normal Christian. And God doesn't really use me. I'm just supposed to work my job and give a tithe. And hopefully there'll be some really talented Christians that come along and do the real work. Jesus says no. What's natural is that every Christian lives a life that bears fruit. Every Christian. Now, let's be honest. Your great cluster might be a little smaller than other people's. Okay. You know, mine's smaller than some other people's. Oh, that's all right. My, my variety of great might be a little different than yours. But Jesus is saying what's natural is that everyone who's in me lives a life that bears fruit. I think the other mistake is that sometimes people think they could just tie fruit on the branch whenever they particularly need it. Like, well, I'll just live like Christ um, in these particularly as-needed moments. Maybe it's some crisis that comes up. Maybe it's a time of particular grief, you know, and what I'll do is I'll just run out and I'll tie some fruit on my branch and then people will see that and they'll think, oh, that's lovely. And, but Jesus is saying, no, that's not the way it works. What's natural is that fruit comes from an overflow of who you are as someone who's connected to me. Right? Like he's not looking for you to pull up at community group, take a deep breath in your car, ties a fruit of patience and gentleness on yourself and go in so everybody applauds how great it is. Right? He's not asking you to like grit your teeth, blast some praise music and try to get in the mood where you tie some fruit on your branch before you come in here on Sunday morning. He's saying, no, you abide in me. You be a part of me. Let me nourish you. Let my life flow into your life so that what flows out of your life is this fruit where people can look at your life and know, oh, that comes from Jesus. This didn't come from her. I know her. (laughs) Fair, right? I mean, look, y'all, the fact that I'm here, that this church exists, is because I'm connected to Jesus. It ain't me. But this is what Jesus, this is just natural. You're tied into the vine, you produce fruit. Second, bearing fruit should matter to you because bearing fruit glorifies God. Glorifies God the Father. Verses five through seven kind of build on this idea of Jesus' disciples abiding in him. And then it crescendos in verse eight where Jesus says, by this, the abiding that leads to fruit bearing, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So you want to figure out how to glorify God the Father. It's not by writing a bigger check. It's not by setting a perfect attendance record at church. Bear fruit that proves you're a disciple of Jesus. That glorifies God the Father. So when the Holy Spirit convicts someone of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and when the Holy Spirit opens their eyes to behold the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ, changes their heart of stone to a heart of flesh, when when that happens, and as a result of the Holy Spirit's work, you repent of your sin, and by God's grace, you place your faith in Christ. When God the Father then applies the righteousness of Christ to you because he put the penalty of your sin on him on the cross, And then as a result of the work of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, you live a changed life. You start bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. You start seeking the kingdom first. You start making disciples as you go. 
You start living as salt and light in the everyday places that you live, learn, work, and play. God is glorified by that. People see that and it points them to him. It points them to Christ. And Jesus is saying, that glorifies my father. And, and people who are in me want that. That they want to see that. You know, we're Baptists, so it's taboo to talk about wine, right? But this comes to mind. Nobody ever has a really nice bottle of wine and thinks about the grapes. Right? They think about the winemaker. Boy, they did a really good job with this. Jesus is just saying, look, point people to my father, the vine dresser. He gets glory when you live like me. One more. Verse 9 to 11. Some of y'all didn't grow up Baptist, so you would have laughed at that joke. Um, some of you don't know you're in a Baptist church right now. That's okay. <laughs> Come to starting point at 2 o'clock. We'll talk more about it. <laughs> I'll let it go. One more. Verses 9 through 11. We see that bearing fruit produces joy. Produces joy. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Abide in my love. To keep my commandments, you will abide in my love as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Loving God, abiding in Jesus, having the word of God abide in you, obeying his commandments, living a life that bears fruit because you're so connected to Jesus that his light shines through you naturally, that produces joy, Jesus says. And not just joy, but fullness of joy. He's not saying you won't struggle. You will. He's not saying that you won't suffer. You will. He's not promising that everybody's going to love you. They're not. He's not saying that your every desire will be fulfilled. It won't. But joy abides. Joy is deep down. Joy lets you grieve with hope. Joy allows you to love your neighbor as yourself, even when it's that neighbor. Joy allows you to forgive as you've been forgiven. Joy lets you take the posture of a servant rather than someone who longs to be served. Joy will let you come alongside people and weep when they weep and rejoice when they rejoice. Joy is the evidence of a life worth living. It's a natural outcome of a life transformed by the gospel. When you live that type of life, God gets the glory you get the joy, and the people that he has placed you around, the people in your spheres of influence, wherever that may be, they get to experience the benefits of the fruit you bear. And you'll experience the benefits of the fruit they bear. This is the way that God has designed things to work. So the question then that I think John 15, one of the questions, there's multiple questions. The question this morning that John 15 asks us to consider is, What's my life producing? I mean, if Jesus is who he said he is in those seven I am statements, and if I, by God's grace through faith, have been connected to him, 
Is there evidence of that in my life that other people can see? What's your life producing? If it's not these things, I mean, if you would think about this and you say, I'm not sure any of that's true of me. Well, we want to help you with that. We want to come alongside you and help you to know Christ. If you're someone who's not a Christian yet and in a room this size, some of you aren't. That's okay. You're welcome here. We hope you keep coming back, asking questions. We want to help you know Christ. We want to help you to grow in the gospel. And so we'd love to have a conversation with you about that. The person that invited you today would love to have a conversation with you about that. Hey, what, what does he mean? We talk about knowing Christ and being connected. Can we, like, let's have that conversation. There's no shame in that at all. If you're already a Christian, we want to help you get connected in community so you can be around other people who are also intentionally trying to live this way, intentionally trying to bear fruit for God and for his kingdom. One of the best ways to do that at King's Cross is to get connected to a small group, community group or a grow group, men's or women's ministry. Like Find a place where you can get around other people who are reinforcing gospel values and gospel fruit in your life. Pastor Josh would love to help you get connected with a small group. Just reach out to him, fill it in on a connection card, send us an email, let us know. And then we want to help you get equipped to live this out. What does it look like to live on mission? One of the, like the best conversations, well, the best conversation we can have is people come to faith. Second best conversation that Josh and I get to have is when people say, how do I live out my faith? What does this look like at school? I don't know where to start at home with my kids. Man, you don't really understand my industry. Can we go grab a coffee and just talk about what it's like to work at my job? How does it look for me to bear fruit? How can I get connected to what the Missions Council is doing? But let's, have it, let's talk about how you can live on mission so that the fruit that's being born in your life because you're connected to Christ can benefit the people around you. We can help, and we want to help. But it begins with you having an honest conversation with yourself where you say, what kind of fruit is my life producing? Let's pray. Father, sometimes the simplest teachings challenge us the most. Cause us to consider our lives the most. I pray that you would make us a people and a church that bears fruit for you and your kingdom. That we would live in a way that benefits the community that you've placed us in. Our workplaces, our schools, our homes, our families. That people would see the light of your son in us just naturally because we're connected to him and his words in us. Would you help us to be intentional about these things, to just be honest and if there are those here this morning who are not yet connected to him, I pray that the Spirit would do his work in their heart. They might come to know your son. They might grow in his gospel. It's in his name we pray. Amen. My name's Chip. I'm the lead pastor here at King's Cross Church. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope that you're growing in the gospel as we work our way through the story. Take a moment to subscribe and you'll get each week's episode automatically. May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.